<laughs> and guess what? You can take it one step further. If you get rid of all the letters, guess what? Still empty. <laughs> At Fuel This Week, I think I learned one more way to spell empty. Alright? Idle. Now, when you say it out loud, it does not sound like empty. I'll be, I'll be, like, <laughs> Marissa, you got me on this one, okay. <laughs> no, no hyphens are going to make idle sound like empty, phonetically. But, <laughs> you're right, yeah, we can, <laughs> we can mess around with that one a little bit too, Brenda. So, idols are, are, was the topic of the theme of, of Fuel this year. And, uh, to help cement this idea that idols are empty, I created a meme for you. Now, if you're into meme culture, you've seen this meme format before. Okay? Right here. Have you ever watched The Office? If you guys have watched The Office and you're into memes, this is going to make perfect sense to you. If not, forget about it. Just remember that empty and idle are the same. Okay? We'll get there. We'll explain it. So this week, I feel as you already, already heard a little bit this morning... We had a great time. We had a lot of fun. We learned a lot, too. And the message this week of idols is not just for teenagers. It's for all Christians who seek to live a life of holiness in the pursuit of God. And I figured I would bring what we learned this week from Fuel back to you guys so that you, too, can benefit from all of the great teaching that our speakers prepared. Mackenzie, Caitlin, two of them right here this week. They put a lot of thought into their messages, and I wanted to kind of bring all that to you. Now, we had eight messages total and around four hours of teaching, so I'm not going to give it all to you right now, okay? I'm going to have to skip over some parts. I'm going to summarize some things this week um, from the last week, but where we started was a foundational text to idolatry, Exodus chapter 20. If you want to go ahead and turn there with me. We're just going to read the first uh, five verses, or at least the first five, four and a half verses, because we'll just start half, stop halfway through verse five. But Exodus chapter twenty. I've I've flipped. I'm so tired. I flipped past this like four times. I was like in chapter twenty three, and I flipped back to chapter sixteen, and then I was like, "What am I doing?" Okay, Exodus chapter twenty, verses one through five. And this is the Ten Commandments, if you're familiar with those. The Lord spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is heaven in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Let's just stop right there. So I, this was one of our memory verses Sunday night. I had emotions to it and everything. It was fun. So, God makes it pretty clear here that there is no thing out there that should be before him. Notice that he covers the existence of everything in the observable universe by saying, in the heavens above, which means everything above our heads, from the atmosphere up to the, the, the stars in the sky, and things beyond that you can't even see. And then he says, nothing on the earth, so that's terra firma here. And then nothing in the water. That covers everything, okay? That, everything in the observable universe. 
uh, a very thorough way of saying there is nothing that is created that should be worshipped before me. God is making this very clear. And the logic being, I think it makes sense that if something is created, then it was created by God and therefore lesser than God. Right? God is this ultimate being who created everything. Why would we worship something that he created that's lesser than him? Worship the creator, not the creation. There's also a word in this passage that might make you uncomfortable when you read it at first, and it's jealous. Right? When we think of the word jealous, we think of the jealousy that is filled with wrath and, and anger, and the jealousy that leads people to smash windows out of their boyfriend's car or something like that. Like, I break the windows out of your car. You know, that kind of jealousy. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. Um, you see, that kind of jealousy comes from ignorance, right? Not fully understanding the situation. It comes from mistrust. It comes from insecurity of our heart. God, God doesn't have those problems, all right? He doesn't lack knowledge. He doesn't lack uh, self-confidence or security. He doesn't have those problems. The word used here, jealousy, is only used in the Old Testament in reference to relationship with God, right? There's another form of it that is used in the common sense that we think of, but this particular form is only used in reference to God. And if God's jealousy, think about it this way, is a byproduct of his unwavering love towards his people. This is why idolatry is wrong, because God loves us so much. It's a positive, good characteristic of his passion, not a negative characteristic of some kind of moral, moral failure or something like that on God's part. Maybe this will help you. Imagine there is a, a married couple, a husband and a wife, and the, the husband finds out that another man has been writing his wife love letters and serenading her in the middle of the night from the ground up into her window and things like that, okay? And if the husband does nothing about it, we would say there's a problem, right? If this husband doesn't care that this other man is making advances on his wife, we would say there is something wrong with that relationship. We would say there's a destructive lack of love somewhere. Either he doesn't love his wife, or he doesn't value the relationship that they're in, or some combination of the both. And if God let us run around with idols, these false things to worship, false things to be in a relationship with, giving ourselves over to them, and he didn't do anything about it, we would say, I guess God doesn't really care about us then. His relationship with us isn't that sincere. He doesn't really love us. Luckily, we don't find that to be the case in Scripture. Over and over and over and over, I could say all day long, over again, we find that God is vehemently against idolatry. And he continues to fight for our love and affection despite the fact that we often deny him in pursuit of our own selfish desire. So what we learned last week at Fuel is that by setting up an idol in our heart is that we're saying that God, something that God created, is more capable of satisfying us, caring for us, and loving us than God is. You see how that's the problem. You see how that's kind of foolishness, right? When you say it out loud, it makes sense, but yet it becomes a part of our life anyway. We also learn that idolatry um, isn't bad in the sense that not everything that God creates is like contaminated, right? It's not bad to love things. It's just bad to put them in the wrong order. 
So there's a quote that got mentioned actually a couple of different times by your speakers. It's from Augustine. Uh, he wrote a book called The City of God. It's, and he lived in the mid-300s, so he's not like a guy from the 60s that you know. Okay, He lived a long time ago. But he, I don't agree with everything he wrote. But he did, I think, have this right. Here's the quote. And thus beauty, which is indeed God's handiwork, but only a temporal, carnal, and lower kind of good. It is not fitly loved in preference to God, the eternal, spiritual, and unchangeable good. For though it be good, it may be loved with an evil as well, with a, as, well as with a good love. It is loved rightly when it is loved ordinately. That means in order, in proper place. Evilly when inordinately. But if the creator is truly loved, that is, if he himself is loved and not another thing in his stead... He cannot be evilly loved. That means if you love him first, it won't be wrong. For love itself is to be ordinately loved because we do not, because we do well to love that which, when we love it, makes us live well and virtuously. So that it seems to me that it is a brief but true definition of virtue to say it is the order of love. Now, that the way he wrote that was kind of confusing, okay? He lived a long time ago. He was a smart guy. He liked his words. In short... He said, everything can be loved as long as it is in the right order. All right? And if it's good when it's in the right order, and it's evil, it's bad, it's inappropriate, it's idolatry when it's in the wrong order. This is what we call ordered loves, one of our main teachings from the week. As Sean Finnegan said, this was an example. You can love pizza, right? But you should not love pizza more than your mom. Okay? You can really love pizza. You can, you can perfect the craft of making pizza. You can own a pizza shop. You can go into business. You can master in pizza, but you should never love it more than your mom. That makes sense, right? You should, you should never love pizza more than your mom. The same is true. At least I hope that makes sense. Right? Even if it's really good pizza. What's your favorite pizza? Jet's Barbecue. What's it called? A Hawaiian barbecue chicken? Oh, it's so good. I don't love it more than my mom, though. Okay, so you can love pizza. You can love your mom. You can love all the other beautiful things that God created, but you just can't love them more than God. And that's what God means in Exodus 20 when he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't put other things before God. We also spent a good amount of time last week identifying common places where idols originate in our lives so that we can help pin them down we mentioned that idols come in the form of entertainment and that's what Mackenzie talked about and uh we, she mentioned that not all entertainment is evil but if you can't weigh it if you can't measure it if you can't stop how much you're consuming then maybe you should take a step back right if you can't control the volume and quantity then it's probably not healthy for you it might be an idol might lead you towards idolatry, celebrating what is evil as good, Mackenzie pointed out. Her message was really good, by the way. Go check it out on the live stream if you haven't, and Caitlin's as well. They both did a great job. Um, So a couple other avenues of idolatry that we talked about. We talked about how idolatry can come from the pursuit of an addiction, how it can come out of the pursuit of popularity and building yourself up some fame and some fortune, wealth, It can come out of the love of ourselves, narcissism and pride. And it can come from our need to belong, 
we can try to change who we are to be a part of a group and to fit into something that isn't God-honoring. We'll do all kinds of things for an idol if it's in our heart. We can fundamentally change who we are to satisfy an idol. And then that's the easiest way to identify if there's an idol in your life. But we'll get there in a minute. There's one more verse that really stood out to me from this week. One that I think serves a great warning and a reminder uh, to all those who are already in faith about idolatry. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul starts out by mentioning the Israelites' journey in the wilderness. How we saw how they saw these amazing things. How they were chosen by God. How they were being led through the wilderness. Yet, they still succumbed to idolatry. They still failed. And Paul uses this as an example to give the church in Corinth a warning. Which I think applies to us as well today. 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 6 here. Now these things, talking about what happened in the wilderness. These things happened as an example for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and sit up to play. Nor let us, nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 25,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written down for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as in common as is common to man. Stop reading right there. Don't look ahead. Because just take a second here. Paul is reminding us, what is he saying up to this point? That we are human. That we are subject to the same kind of failures of the heart that the Israelites were in the wilderness. Okay? And just because we stand tall in our faith now, just because we seem sure in our faith, does not mean that we can't fall if we aren't careful. So how many examples can you think of off the top of your head? I'm sure there are a few. Where someone seemed to be a really strong Christian, they seemed to be sold out for the faith, and then... They fell into some bad sins, some, some bad crowd maybe, and they turned their back on God. That's the parable of the seed that Jesus talks about, the one who sprouts up quickly but ends up fading away. There, there is no temptation out there that we as a human species hasn't tried, okay? We have, we've done it all. And we need to be careful because we are hardwired. Here's the truth of it. We're hardwired to worship. And we can so easily misplace our worship and trust and value into something that is less deserving than God. And that's what happens when we fall away. But luckily, Paul doesn't just end there where we stop in the middle of the verse. He keeps going. He finishes what he says. Look back at verse 13 here. God is faithful. He's faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. God doesn't leave us to fight the battle of idolatry on our own. 
He has given us his spirit, his promises, his word, that he will be there to help us to fight these temptations. He will give us, he will empower us over and over again to choose him over idols. That is his promise. If we are willing to stick with him and stand with him, he's going to help us fight. But as long as sin still infects this world, we are going to be in battle. So here are a few important points of application from this week. I feel that I think you all should hear as well. You didn't have to sit through four hours to hear this, okay? Boiled it down for you. Number one, sacrifice is the test for idolatry. So to understand this principle, you must first understand that sacrifice is fundamentally a form of worship. All right, so worshiping something that's not God is idolatry, i.e. sacrificing to something that's not God is idolatry. Many of the ways that people worshiped in the Old Testament were sacrifices, and in the New Testament, we are called to make spiritual sacrifices as a form of worship. So if you identify in your life what you are sacrificing for and what you are sacrificing to, then you may find an idol there. Right? In other words, your daily sacrifices show what you are worshiping. So are you sacrificing your money, a large portion of it, to have a certain object or substance? Are you sacrificing your time to do a certain activity, a large portion of it neglecting other things in your life? Are you sacrificing maybe your personal health or something else like that in the pursuit of a dream career? So like we already said about ordered loves, it's not bad It's not bad to enjoy other things. God put these things in this beautiful world for us to enjoy. It's not bad to work hard. It's not bad to love your job. But the question is, are they in the right order? So identify your sacrifice and how much you sacrifice. And that will help you figure out if the things in your life are in the right order. Thankfully, part of the help that we get is that God lays out his priorities for us in Scripture. God says I'm, he's always to be first. Clear and simple. Then he says to love people. And then he does a bunch of other clear teachings about investing in your church family, investing in your nuclear family. He calls us to prioritize our financial health, if possible, to have extra so that we can give to others in need. He, he calls us to these kinds of things. These are his priorities, and the list goes on. And if we can't hit God's priority list... That means there's an imbalance somewhere in your life. There's somewhere there may be an idol hiding in your heart that needs to be toppled. Something that's taking too many resources, taking too much time. Something that has taken the place of God and his priorities. Number two. As Mackenzie said, this comes straight off her message. You can make the next right choice. Right? Just because you may have identified something now that is wrong, maybe something you've done in your past, you've said, oh, this is definitely idolatry. It's okay to feel some shame and grief about that failure, but it doesn't mean you're defined by it. You're able to make the next right choice when it comes to following God. Every single moment is a new moment to choose him. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, with God, our next battle of temptation can be won. If we stick with him. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is present in our life to fight alongside the battle for our hearts. Lastly, don't fill your heart with emptiness. 
I know it's kind of oxymoronic, but it's true. Think about it for a second. Don't fill your heart with empty things. Idols are empty. Say that with me. Idols are empty. In the long run, they do not bring you satisfaction or blessing or love or life. They merely take the form of the good and life-bringing things in your life. But they're hollow. And if you fill your heart with them, you're hollow. You're going to have a hollow heart as well. Just think about all the substances as a species that we've created that we can be addicted to, right? We are masters at that. Think about all the mindless entertainment that has pushed our direction all the time at an ever-increasing rate. As Mackenzie said, every minute on YouTube, there's 500 hours uploaded. You just, like, can't keep up with it. And most of it is absolute trash. And there are so many self-serving creations in this world that we can subscribe to. We can be a part of a ton of different opportunities, most of which probably won't benefit us. So, in short, all these uncreated things will not stand up to what God can offer you. There is no object, idea, practice, philosophy, or pleasure that is better than God and what he wants to give you. That's the truth. We must always be aware of the war that is in our hearts and minds. Don't ever think that your stance is too strong to be knocked down. All right? That's pride, and that comes before the fall. There are a lot of ways to get to emptiness, right? (laughs) Empty, 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 and empty. There's a lot of ways to get there, but there's only one way to be filled. Turn to God and keep turning to him every second of every minute of every hour of every day for the rest of your life. And you will find a spring of life that fills you, that keeps you going, and makes you strong. Please pray with me this morning. God, I thank you for the last week of fuel that taught us about what it means to truly be in love with you and to place you on the throne of our heart. I pray that you keep us mindful of the other things that may be standing in the way of you truly ruling our hearts and our minds. Pray that you help us to remove those and to fight our battles against the idols and temptations in our heart. In your son's name we pray. Amen.